Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Uh, our text this morning is uh, Acts chapter 20. We'll be focusing on verses 22 through 24. Uh, I'll actually pick up the reading, though, in, in verse 17. Uh, as we, uh, This is actually our second sermon in this passage, so it'll help us remember some of the context. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask God's help to understand what He says to us. Let's pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Acts 20, picking up in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life as uh, of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, you can come up and join me. Good to see y'all. Come on up. So lately, the adults on Wednesday nights, you know, we have those Wednesday night classes at church. The adults have been going through one of my favorite books. Yeah, here, I'll, I'll kind of stand over here. Got a big crowd today. We're going through Pilgrim's Progress. It's a story about a man named Christian who becomes a Christian and goes on a long dangerous journey toward his new home with God. Christian gets a lot of help along the, that way, uh, along the way of his journey. And, and one of the big helps comes from uh, a house where a man shows him scenes, kind of like little miniature plays that act out important lessons for him, things that will encourage him and things that will make him wise as he goes. In one of the scenes, Christian sees two children, two children sitting in little chairs, and they have interesting names. The, the older one is called Passion, and the younger one is called Patience. Christian could tell Passion was not happy. <laughs> Passion just kind of looked like this. 
But patience was very still, very quiet. So Christian asked, why is passion so upset? And, and he was told, oh, well, both kids, both kids were promised some really good things at the beginning of next year, but passion wants it all now. Patience is willing to wait. Well, just then, somebody came up and gave to passion everything that he had wanted, toys and money and buckets and buckets of candy. I mean, just candy everywhere. And do you know what he did? He grabbed all of it, and his face lit up. He was so happy, and he began to laugh, a nasty, terrible laugh, laughing at patience with his with Passion's mouth just full of candy, candy flying out. He was making fun of Patience because Passion had everything that he wanted, and Patience still didn't have any of it. But after just a little while, Christian kept watching the scene, and, and he saw that everything that Passion had just enjoyed was gone. Gone. He had nothing left. But patience, patience was still looking forward to all the good things that were going to come to him. What do you think is the point of that scene? What was that supposed to teach? That's right. Not almost. You got it. This, is, this scene is teaching us about what we are supposed to value. What is it that you're supposed to value? What is it that we should count as really worthwhile? Well, if we think that the good things of this world are all that matters, all the toys and candy and money, if we think that that's what really matters, then we are soon going to be disappointed. Like Passion, who cared only about getting his good stuff now. We might be happy for a little while, but in the end, we will be left with nothing. But... If we value Jesus and his promises to us about what's to come, and if we value that higher than anything that this world has to offer, then we will be willing to wait with patience, right? Patience. Now, between you and me, waiting is hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's not an easy thing to be patient. Sometimes you see other people with good things, and, and they make fun because we don't have what they have. But the more we understand how valuable Jesus is, the more we will be willing to endure even hard things in this life while we wait. We, we actually see Paul living that way in, in what we just read. He doesn't even count his life, this present life, uh, as worth anything compared to knowing Jesus and sharing, others, uh, sharing Jesus with others. His aim, Paul's aim, was to live this life in a way that shows how much Jesus was worth to him. Do you know why? Do you know why he wants to show the value of Jesus with his life? It's because he knows how much Jesus values us. You are so precious to Jesus that he was willing to die to have you and for you to have him. 
And because we will have him forever in the end. That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seats. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to this passage, uh, because this passage helps us to see what Paul valued, like I was telling the kids. And in fact, it's telling us both what he discounts and what he counts as truly dear to him. He, he's saying all of this because as he leaves the Ephesian elders for the last time, he wants them to learn to treasure the same things as him, just as his reflection on his past ministry among them, which is what Philip talked about last week. That was verses 17 through 21. Just as that was meant to model the way that they should minister in his absence, here he is modeling the values that will guide their work of shepherding, shepherding God's church in Ephesus. It's in verse 24. Look there. Paul says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So notice there both what he discounts and what he counts as truly worthwhile. First, he discounts his earthly present life. Literally, he says, I do not consider my life worth a single word. There is no grasping for wealth or reputation here. He, he isn't desperate for any certain someone to love him or even like him. He, he just isn't wrapped up in the here and now of his time on earth to live as if this is all that there is. Now, I do want you to understand something. He is not saying that his life is trash. It's just that he is doing a comparison and then making a decision based on his appraisal. Just like you might give me a choice between broccoli and a brownie, and I will pick the brownie every single time. I might even throw the broccoli at you. So Paul is setting his life in this world next to something else and saying, this life is not nearly so sweet as what I really love. And so what is it that by comparison outshines his earthly life by far? Well, we hear it in the second half of that verse. What he really loves is not this life, but the Lord himself and the mission that the Lord gave Paul to do. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, Paul says. It, it's like he's saying, it's not important to me whether I live or die. It is, however, important that I complete my mission because Jesus himself gave it to me. And I love the Lord who showed grace to somebody like me. Paul values the Lord and his mission 
far more than his own life. He, he's not putting on a show for the Ephesian elders. We hear him speak like this elsewhere, too. To the Philippians, he writes about the comparative worthlessness of his life against the value of knowing Jesus himself. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, scoopalon for you Greek scholars, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul valued knowing and having Jesus above everything else. And so, all throughout his letters, Paul also rejoices in the work, in the work Jesus gave him to do. He, talking about his ministry while simultaneously fulfilling it to Timothy as well as to the Christians in Colossae, Galatia, Ephesus, Corinth, and Rome. And in all of his letters, you can hear how deeply Paul valued his work the work that the Lord had given him to do, accomplishing it and finishing well was more important to him than life itself. What do you count as valuable? There are ways to find out. What do you get angry about? Your anger is probably telling you that something that you feel is really important is threatened. Or, or what terrifies you. Whatever you are afraid of losing or not getting, whatever you're afraid will happen to you or your family, that fear is so strong because something or someone you highly treasure feels like it's at risk. Or follow the money. What do you most easily spend money on? That, that's pointing you toward what your heart truly cherishes. Or, or what about your words? What about your words to your family and friends? What, what about your words that you say to yourself? What do those words say you believe is most important? Then and now, our actions are always flowing from what we are treasuring moment by moment. In other words, what you are thinking or saying or doing in any given moment is connected to what you love, to what you value. It is flowing from what your heart cherishes. So here I think it's helpful to ask, what does it look like when a person's most treasured thing is not this life at all? but rather Jesus himself and the missions that he has given to us. What does that look like? What did it look like in Paul's life, and what could it look like in your life? Well, in this passage, we see a couple of ways that a high estimation of Christ and his callings on us get displayed in real time. First, first we see bravery, bravery in the face of danger and uncertainty. And second, we see an active eagerness to do the job that's been given. First, bravery. Second, an active eagerness. Let, let's look first at bravery, Paul's bravery in the face of danger and uncertainty. Look at verses 22 and 23. He talks about not knowing. 
not knowing what will happen to him. Uh, There's uncertainty because he does not know exactly what awaits him as he goes to Jerusalem. But while he doesn't know details, nothing specific, he is aware of the danger because he does know in general what to expect. The Holy Spirit assures him that imprisonment and afflictions are what's waiting for him there. We find out a little later that the Spirit has revealed these things in every city, he says, probably through encounters like what we're going to see in the very next chapter where a prophet comes to Paul and symbolically acts out his arrest in Jerusalem. God was giving him the heads up about what to expect generally, and it was dangerous. Now, when you and I have a sense of foreboding about something, whether it's coming out of our own imagination or it's based on our our experience, when we have a sense of foreboding about something, we tend to avoid it, right? If I need to have something as small as an unpleasant conversation with someone, I have a hard time dialing their number and hitting call. When our minds forebode danger and our hearts fear what might happen, we often get paralyzed like that. But I want you to look at Paul. Despite the danger and uncertainty, Paul is still going to Jerusalem. He says he is constrained by the Spirit to to go there. That phrase, constrained by the Spirit, it could mean two things. It could mean either the Holy Spirit is binding him or possibly his own spirit is making him feel like this journey to Jerusalem is something he simply must do. I think based on the context uh, and what we know of Paul, my guess is that he feels transcendently bound to go. God is constraining him to go. Either way, there was nothing for it. There was no way around it. But because he values Christ and his calling above life itself, he is free from from a paralyzing worry. He's bravely, boldly going to keep going, even though he knows he's walking toward pain. What we see in Paul is exactly the same thing we saw in Jesus when he, knowing what suffering awaited him in Jerusalem, Luke 9 tells us he set his face to go there. There was no running away from the hardship, but rather there was a movement toward what he valued most, even if that meant hardship, even if that meant suffering. For you and me, we, we haven't been told what's going to happen to us, not specifically anyway. I've I've never had a prophet come to me and symbolically act out what was going to happen to me next week. Not once. We are in the dark about a lot of the details of our lives. Now, as one pastor said, it is good for us to be kept in the dark concerning future events, that we, we may be always waiting on God and waiting for Him. So it's a good thing to be in the dark. But, like Paul... The Lord has told us what to expect generally as you and I journey through this life. What is it? He says, 
in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. And so what's your plan? How do you want to respond? No, Jesus isn't calling you to go to Jerusalem. That was his call on Paul. That's not his call on you. But he is calling you into some very difficult situations. Maybe yours is a difficult marriage or some other relationship with a difficult person. Maybe you are expecting pain at work. Maybe you feel like the Lord wants you to do or say something that seems impossibly costly, emotionally or relationally dangerous. Maybe He is not calling you to really do anything except to just endure. You have something to bear, not to change. You are aware the Lord has something for you to do, but it feels overwhelming. And in the face of hardship and suffering, are you going to move toward what you value, or are you going to move away from it? Will the danger and uncertainty take your heart and paralyze you? Will will it make you look for a way out? Will you look for a way to escape the pain, or, or maybe at least numb it for a little while? Or... Will you move toward Christ in faith? Will you move toward obedience to do a hard thing bravely? Will you be free from worry because of the surpassing value of Christ and doing what He is giving you to do? A wise person once wrote, Dark times lie ahead of us. And there will be a time when we must choose between what is easy and what is right. But when we see Jesus himself as our greatest treasure, we can face whatever comes without worry, heeding the exhortation that Paul gave to the church in Corinth when he said, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. That's the encouragement here. That's what it looks like to to value Christ and His calling above life itself. It it enables us to be brave in the face of uncertainty and danger. But then it also motivates us with an active eagerness to actually do the job or jobs He's given us to do. That's The second thing that we see in this passage, Paul is eager to fulfill his mission. That's why he's heading to Jerusalem. He knows that's the next thing that he is supposed to do, and so he is eager to do it. I mean, you're just going to have to forgive me if this is super obvious, but when you really value something, then you'll be passionate about doing it. And Paul's passion for God's calling on him as an apostle to the Gentiles, that passion was indisputable. Paul was always going as far and as fast and as furiously as he could in in his work of making Christ known to those who were far off. 
already in Acts, he has been journeying all over the eastern Mediterranean by ship and by land, preaching the gospel everywhere to everyone that he met. Uh, in Romans 15, we hear his hopes of encouraging the Christians in Rome and, and being helped by them as he's on his way to Spain. That's the ends of the earth as far as the ancients are concerned because he was eager to fulfill his ministry even there. Remember, Jesus himself had called Paul to be his apostle, his messenger, proclaiming the good news of God's grace, like he said. Christ had given him a course to follow, and Paul was eager to run it. Christ gave him a ministry, he says, which is to say a service that was others-oriented in nature, a service that was others-oriented in nature. And so Paul did not live for himself. His life was spent for the good of others. And, and while he ran the race that the Lord had outlined for him, while he served others by preaching good news, Paul's valuing of Christ and his mission meant that he did nothing half-heartedly. He pursued his calling with vigor and energy and drive. Now, as I said, your calling is not the same as Paul's. Jesus hasn't made us apostles, but he has given you callings in your life. He has called you to be husband or wife or single. He's called you to be a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a son, a daughter, a brother or sister, a friend, a church member, an employer, an employee, a citizen of this country. And in all of these things, Jesus has given you something to do, something to do. And he has laid a course in front of you. He has given you a ministry that is about serving others and not just yourself. As one old pastor said, we have our labors appointed to us. For we were not sent into the world to be idle. And our limits are also appointed us. For we were not sent into the world to be here always. For we pass through the world. No, we run through it, and it is soon run through. In other words, the Lord has given you things to do, and He has given you a limited amount of time to do them. And to the extent that we value Him and the mission He's given us, we will eagerly spend ourselves and be spent in the doing of these things. That, that's not to say that rest and refreshment are not important. Actually, they absolutely are. But we must come to see that rest and refreshment is not an end in and of itself. We rest so that we might be reinvigorated for the work God has given us to do. Refreshment enables us to step back into hard situations with fresh strength. So far, we've seen that valuing Jesus and the work he has given more than life 
produces bravery in the face of danger and uncertainty, as well as eagerness to fulfill our calling. So those are both true. But at this point, we have to do some reflection. We have to ask the question, why don't we live like that? Because if you're like me, you have noticed that in the face of danger and uncertainty, brave is not always the most accurate descriptor. Chicken or panicky might be more apt. And when it comes to fulfilling the callings that Jesus has put on to me, eagerness is often eaten away by distractions, by competing loves that dampen zeal because they divide loyalties. Why is it that we struggle so much with fear? Why is it that fervor fades and Christian devotion dwindles? You, you can probably sense now that it has something to do with what our heart is valuing at any given moment. And when we live in a world where Christ and His kingdom is so veiled to us, while the here and now is so tangible, so loud, so immediate, so sensible, it's easy for our hearts and our minds to be fooled into believing that our earthly lives are most valuable. The struggle is not anything new for human beings. Ever since our first parents put a higher value on having that forbidden fruit over enjoying God and life with Him, the life they already had, ever since then, human beings have gotten our values all wrong. We love creation more than the Creator. We love our comforts over our callings. We love to be served, but not serving others so much. We are eager to finish our meals, but not to finish well the course God has set before us. We, we have to say that we live that way because we value ourselves. Our lives are terribly precious to us. And if you, with me, if you sense the wrongness of that, if you acknowledge that you aren't the center of the universe, even if you struggle to keep God at the center of your heart, then how can we learn to value the Lord and His calling on us above our very lives? How can the Lord and the mission that He's given become so precious to us that we, can honestly say, I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's profoundly simple. We must return again and again to the very message that Paul preached. We don't have to cling to our lives as precious because in the gospel of the grace of God, which is a beautiful summary of everything that Paul ever wrote, 
in the gospel of the grace of God, we learn just how valuable we are to God, that our lives are to God. In the good news about Jesus, we see just how precious we are to Him. The, the gospel tells us that God sees beyond this earthly life into eternity, and, and so loving was He, so committed to our good was He, that He sent His Son to die so that you might be with Him forever. You, you can tell how valuable something is by what someone is willing to pay for it. And so, how much is your life worth to God? It's worth the lifeblood of His own Son. That's love. That's heart-ravishing love that draws us out of our small and selfish concern for ourselves. God's love on display in Jesus is what frees us from our desperate schemes to secure our own good because He assures us that our ultimate good has, all, has been on His mind and in His purposes from eternity to eternity. But that good news of the grace of God in Jesus, it does more than transform what we value as we see Jesus Himself eagerly fulfilling the mission that God had given Him. Jesus' zeal never flagged. He was always about His Father's business, even though He knew it meant suffering. And when the time came for Him to bear the cross in our place, He bravely faced death and He didn't even flinch. Why? Because He valued the joy that was set before Him and He discounted the shame that He was going to have to endure on the cross. Because He valued the joy that was set before Him, that joy of pleasing the Father and having you by His side forever, Jesus was sustained. That joy motivated Him to do what was right in the Father's eyes instead of what would have been easy. When you and I keep this gospel in front of our eyes, when the Spirit of Christ uses it to renew our minds and fill our hearts, then then we will grow more and more to be not only like Paul, but like Jesus himself. Remembering and trusting in our brave Lord who loved us and gave himself up for us, we won't need to value this life so much. Instead, we'll be ready to face whatever comes with confidence in him, knowing that he really does care for us. And we'll be eager to do what He has given us to do, even though it means passing through danger and facing uncertainty. We'll know that the danger can't last forever, because even if the worst happens, Christ has already conquered death for us. We don't have to worry. We can look at our uncertain futures without worry, because we might not know what the future holds, but as it's said, we know Him who holds our future in His hands. And because the hands that hold us still bear the scars of our redemption, that's another reason why we call this good news.
You believe it? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this word. We praise you that through Paul and, and through other faithful servants, the gospel of your grace has been made known to us. And in the face of our Lord Jesus, we see just how precious we are to you. Father, we, we do ask now that, that you would fill our hearts and renew our minds to walk through this world in light of this gospel, that we would be unafraid, that we would be brave in the face of danger, and we would be eager to fulfill the callings, the jobs that you have given us to do. Help us, Father, we pray. In the name of our Lord, amen.